from the Lake Erie shores of Northeast Ohio. Hello, Cleveland! Rock and roll capital of the world and birthplace of the comic book superhero. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. This is the Panel Scanners Podcast since 2012. Welcome to the Panel Scanners. Man, it just feels like we were just here talking about comic books and all the fun things that the world has to offer for us. Uh, tonight, as always, Darren is joining me. How are you tonight, Jared? I am doing really, really well. Um, that's it. That's good. And somehow, twice in a row, we've somehow wrangled the wild Tim back into our presence. How are you doing, Tim? Doing well. I'm on a streak. You are two for two. Let's keep that going, please. That would be fantastic. Not that we do not appreciate all of our past guests, but you are always missed when you're not here. Aww. Yeah, buttering you up so I don't have to hear about Wonder Woman anymore. So, Wonder Woman! <laughs> all right, so tonight we have some cool stuff to talk about, but first we're going to jump into something that Darren brought up. So Darren, tell us, tell us a little bit about this. And, you know, and this was born out of something that you mentioned to me a while back when we were trying to figure out what we're going to do uh, for this month. Now, a little peek behind the curtain, as Phil would say, um, we usually have a lot of our stuff planned out months in advance, with the exception of like late breaking stories or something new comes along that we weren't, we weren't expecting. But with everything that's been going on, it's been a little bit more difficult to do. And we've been juggling guest hosts with you know, all that, as we've mentioned. And then last month, Phil, you mentioned that what about doing for July um, something, the most patriotic comics or something. We're trying to figure out what to do patriotically, but when we realized we wouldn't be able to get to it before the 4th. And then I started thinking about, well, when we, what could we do? And it, and it just sort of dawned on me. I was watching... Um, I was an old I'm a sucker for NBA basketball Tim knows this about me and I was watching NBA TV and someone came up with well, who's your who's on your Mount Rushmore of NBA coaches and I'm like why haven't we done this why haven't we done a Mount Rushmore of something and I kind of figure this is going to end up being like a series uh, of things we can do um, like who's your Mount Rushmore of creators who's your Mount Rushmore artists or writers or characters or we can even get real specialized with like movie characters, TV characters, things like that. But I figured the way we can kick it off was like your overall Mount Rushmore, the things that in pop culture, all the stuff we cover on this podcast, who are the four faces that represent the things that most make up our fabric of um, who we who who the who we are in this particular bubble that we operate in. So I have a real quick question. Looking at the camera. Not your computer, which is, of course, your computer. What four presidents are on Mount Rushmore? Do you guys know? Can you name them? Tim, what do you think? Um, Taft. Um, All right, now he's being a jerk. Polk. Yep, Polk, uh, Taft. Garfield. James A. Garfield, the very cat. good. The cat and Garfield, Odie. the cat, and yes. Odie. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Phil, any guesses here now that you've had time to call it up on Wikipedia? What? Uh I don't know. It's let me go. Let me get. Uh, let's see. It's got to be Washington. Bingo. Lincoln. Bingo. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Right. And Jefferson. That's right. It's right there on your screen. Good job. No, it's not. It's <laughs> not. Okay. So essentially, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick our four, the four 
overall, over everything, everything combined in this podcast bubble of who are the four faces on our Mount Rushmore. And the way we're going to do this, if you have honorable mentions, and I have many, this was really difficult for me to narrow down, like oh, just taking yeah. the entire thing. And, and if you feel like you want to guess, and I know, come on, I know, Phil, one of yours for sure. I bet I can get two. Um, now, and I bet, I bet Tim and I are going to have some very similar ones myself. So, all right, so this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say. And before I get to my number one, I will let you guess who my number one is. Um, but so we're going to do honorable mentions, and then we'll deliver these uh, one at a time. All right. So my honorable mentions are Gene Roddenberry, Patrick Stewart, Harrison Ford, Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jim Starlin, Jim Steranko, Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, I guess, I think as history's moving along, we're starting to realize, we're starting to wonder how much he actually had to do with the Batman we know and love. But he's on there. Robin, The Flash, oh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, R2-D2, C-3PO, Indiana Jones. And here, and I know generally we don't try to have a lot of qualifications or justifications for our honorable mentions, but in this particular case, I want to point out three people. One of the ones I'm willing to bet that you guys would guess on my Mount Rushmore is William Shatner. He is not. He ends up in my honorable mentions. Therefore, you might guess that perhaps Leonard Nimoy might be on there. He is not. He is on my honorable mentions. And the reason is, is because if I'm going to go with the characters of Captain Kirk, Spock, they don't work as well without each other. In point of fact, I'm also going to mention DeForest Kelly, who played Dr. McCoy, Bones. Because William Shatner's Cow Captain Kirk's cowboy diplomacy doesn't work if you don't have Spock's Leonard, Leonard Nimoy Spock standing right next to him, just pure straight logic. And without Bones reacting to both sides of those extremes, that triumvirate doesn't work. So if we ever were going to get to our favorite Star Trek characters, I almost end up looping those three as one because without they, 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 each one of those is such a vital component. That is my honorable mentions um, with a little bit more justifications, but I hope you'll forgive me for that. Um, so let's move on to your honorable mentions, Phil. Well, I echo a lot of yours, so I, I don't want to keep stepping on uh, the same things. Like I had Shatner, I had Mark Hamill, I had uh, like C-3PO and Vader and, and those. Uh, some that you did not have, uh, Haronubo Sakaguchi, uh, Yoshitaka Amano, those are our Final Fantasy people. Um, Nobuo Amatsu, the musician behind that as well. Um, Chris Claremont, uh, Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, Jim Valentino, Eric Larson. Uh, I mean, the list can go on and on and on. We know these people. May I add one to just, your list that I, you just reminded me of? Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, Miyazaki as well. And, and, that, and that's the thing. Like uh, When I was looking at this, uh, when you started talking, some others started coming to my mind because my kind of uh, focus in on the comic book world more so than everything we were talking about. I, I just think that's out of the habit of what we do here. Um, but, there, there, I mean, there's just so much there. And, again, the honorable mentions, and this is the thing that we have a problem with with all these lists, is I feel like they rotate so often. And, like, I, I hate the my biggest struggle with Mount Rushmore is I feel like I would want to make it with Play-Doh instead of stone because I'd want to be able to re-manipulate the faces that are there. Well, but, I mean, that's why we would do other ones with, you know, maybe more esoteric categories. Yeah. 
well, regardless, uh, the, 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 the honorable mentions are just, it's an incredibly long list, and pretty much anybody you will mention or anybody Tim will mention would probably be on there, too. I mean, my currents would be, like, Rick Remender and, and Donny Cates, like, these newer people, but they don't deserve to have their faces up there yet because they just haven't done enough yet. Mm. So that's me. Tim? Tim? Um, Jinx. Wow. My honorable mentions are um, The Cheetah, Steve Trevor, Wonder Girl, and Wonder Woman. That's who I got. <laughs> nice. Oh, boy. I wonder yeah. why Wonder Woman's on there. <clears throat> all right. Those are all Wonder Woman characters. <laughs> and that is the Mount Rushmore. I hate you so much. And that God. is it. You jerk. Just let him have it, because I'm so tired That's of it, it Tim. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> um, all right, so let's go ahead. I'm going to lead off here. Now, uh, the order in which they appear on Mount Rushmore is George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln from left to right. Now, I sort of... Um, processed mine with Washington would be the person that would be in my top spot and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. before I go ahead and deliver my uh, reveal and justification, anyone want to take a guess? For your top spot, my Superman. Yep, yeah, that's exactly it. Occupying the George Washington spot on my panel scanners, Mount Rushmore is Superman. Clearly my favorite character above all. His emblem adorns so much of my life that I have lost count. As a boy and on into adulthood, I have used fundamental Superman characterization as my moral compass and can't imagine a time when that would go wrong. Superman is so much a part of the fabric that makes me who I am that he absolutely would have to take the George Washington spot on my Mount Rushmore. The sculpt I would choose would absolutely resemble Christopher Reeve. I figured that would be the way you would go. Mm -hmm. So, Phil, it is your turn. Yeah. May I take a so guess? Sure. Do you want to say anything before I do? No, go for it. Stanley. That is exactly correct. I mean, it's hard to think, think that I would be sitting here right now talking to you guys about what we talk about on a monthly basis uh, without Stanley. Stanley created so many of the characters that I love, and I, I it would be hard to say that I would have a love for comics without him. And which I mean is is probably a big crock because. Someone else at some point would have created these things in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, maybe there would only be the DC, and I'd be following more of like Batman, and I'd be in the same realm of Darren with saying that Robin is like so great and all these things. But I fell into the Stan Lee court, and I really fell in love with Marvel because of Stan Lee. And I, I mean, it, it, it. I don't think I really need to argue the point as to. Uh, why he would, you know, deserve to sit there. Uh, it seems I would have to play royalties to someone now if I did that, but, you know, whatever. He would be... <laughs> Tim? Yeah, please, Tim. <laughs> no, I was laughing because of the royalty comments. <laughs> yeah, Genius Brands owns his face. I'd have to pay them. Oh, yeah. Tim, can we take a guess here? Um, sure. I, I didn't... Well... I don't know if I put these in necessarily in order, but yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead and guess. Um, if you get Ooh. one of them on the list, am I just saying yes? All right. So you, all right. Uh, you don't have them in any order. Not Why don't you just go ahead and go then? Because like I, I was, 
I'm trying to figure out who would be your number one, and there's two ways I can go with this. Okay. Um, well, I guess I'll try. I'll, I'll kind of order it then. All right. I'm gonna. I'm um, gonna say, you're going to have. I'm gonna venture to guess you're gonna have at least two that are identical to mine. Um, and the one for your top spot, I'm gonna go ahead and just. Because I've, I've always wondered which which is more for you, Star Wars or Batman? Because they always seem like one and one A, and maybe they trade positions depending on. So for for right now, I'm gonna go ahead and say George Lucas. So this is for my number one spot, mm-hmm. like my favorite, so to speak. And yes, that's that's what I'm saying. Um. No. Okay, I had another thought. And I don't want I don't want to I don't want to steal your thunder at this point, so I'll just let you go ahead and go. Um, but it could be my yeah, well, that's giving it away. But I, my first my first um, one on here, which I guess would be number four, however we're doing this, um, is Ace Freely from the band Kiss. <laughs> I knew there was gonna be a Kiss person. Oh up man, there. that's great. Uh, oh, so far away from what I was thinking. <laughs> it was and what a I, great yeah. face that's gonna be on the mount rushmore <laughs> right um dude is the reason i play guitar um such a big part of my childhood i had batman color forms i had kiss color forms i had batman and spider-man mego figures i had kiss mego figures <laughs> Me, uh, me and my best friend growing up, who is now the lead singer in my band, uh, we pretended that we were Kiss just as much as we pretended that we were superheroes or Star Wars characters. So it's such a huge um, part of my life and makeup of <laughs> makeup <laughs> of who I am um, to today. So yeah, he's my uh, number four. Your story about going as them for Halloween at that dance was was so awesome and i still i still think you should be bitter you guys were robbed um it's true all right cycling back to me occupying the thomas jefferson spot on my panel scanners mountain rushmore is batman batman comes in just after my discovery as superman as a kid i'm pretty sure it was the car that drew me in there is simply no accessory in all of pop culture that can match the batmobile regardless of which version you prefer to me, Batman works so many different ways, and Batman has rotated to mean something different to me throughout my life. When I was a kid, he was a humorous, favorite teacher-like figure. When I was a teen, he was a dark and brooding. He was dark and brooding. When I was a young adult, he sort of split those differences. Adulthood, he became a cinematic masterpiece, and I am curious to see what's coming next um, for the sculpt. Very little surprise here: Adam West in that unmistakable cowl. Bill? My second is Jack Kirby. <laughs> of course. I mean, it's one of the most recognizable artists. Uh, it's so impossible to see one of his pieces and not know he did it. Uh, the Kirby Dots is something, was actually the first piece of comic book art um, because 
as Darren knows, when we started this podcast, like I knew superheroes. I didn't know creators really. I didn't really know who the authors were, or the artists were. But Jack Kirby is one of those people that even then I recognized and is such a formative person in me appreciating what's in my hands more so than the words that are there. Um, I, I just I couldn't think of anybody else that deserved to be nestled up against Stan Lee uh, in thinking that the left side of my Mount Rushmore is my formative comic book love. You know, Jack Kirby, to me, Stan Lee gets all the press, deservedly so, but Jack Kirby has every bit as much to do with the success of Marvel as Stan Lee, maybe even a little bit more. Um, Tim? Yeah, I totally agree with you guys on the Jack Kirby. He, uh, you're right. He wasn't out in the limelight you know, he was in the trenches um, doing the work, and he's fantastic. Um, coming in in my third spot, or what do you call it, the Thomas Jefferson spot? Yep. Um, for me, uh, is Stanley. Um, not too much more to say because Phil, you know, said it brilliantly. Um, he wasn't the reason. Let's let's face it. Spider-Man was probably the reason that you know I started reading comics and I, well, it was really Iron Man for me. That was my first comic that, but, um, he, they, Stan Lee was one of the reasons that I stayed with comics. He, he really was. I mean, I love reading Stan's soapbox and that he, such an ambassador for comics. Uh, and it wasn't just Marvel comics. It was comics, mm -hmm. you know, he, to me, you say comics, it's Stan Lee, no matter what company uh, uh, you're from? He he just feels like family, and uh, so I just love the man uh, so much. And he was, like I said, he really one of the reasons that I stayed with comics because he made it okay to like comics. You know, just such, it such can be a said great, great man. that perhaps outside of Superman, the most recognizable comic book icon is Stan Lee. Yeah, definitely, and that's that's my guy. All right, um, occupying the Theodore Roosevelt spot on my panel scanners, Mount Rushmore is George Lucas. Now, oh. qualifications here: uh, since 1999, Lucas has endured some body blows emanating from the dawn of the Star Wars prequel trilogy. This is no surprise. While the Star Wars sequel trilogy was warmly received. We're not talking about a worst-to-first situation here, and he didn't have anything to do with that anyway. So the original trilogy of that which he was in charge the, for the first for first for three movie arcs is still the gold standard. He is also the co-creator of Indiana Jones, and a character for Tim and I uh, defines a significant portion of our remaining childhood that is not occupied by Star Wars, Superman, or Batman. Um, so George Lucas, you having created Star Wars, which still remains a very huge part of my fabric today is my Theodore Roosevelt spot. Phil? Mine is also someone that has to deal with films, Kevin Feige. Oh. Because he created the movie form of comic books, plural. The tying in, the storyline that you actually had to get through everything. You had to see all the tie-ins to get everything. It felt like reading uh, an event book uh, when they are good. And just 
going back and thinking of the first time I saw Avengers in the theater, and I'm not, and I mean that's even after seeing Iron Man and all in these like fantastic setup films, and realizing that this whole thing is orchestrated so well. And I know he didn't direct every one of those, but it was his grand scheme. He sat at the top and put them all together, and that that's saying something. Like that, we walked out of that last Avengers movie, and we we're like, okay, that can't be done again. And that speaks such levels for it. Um, hopefully it can keep going, but you know, um, it, it's just, it, it was hard because it did. I bounced around and uh, George Lucas was almost there for me as well, Darren. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I bounced back to those prequels and that kicked mm-hmm. him right off. And, and that's sad because I am also a big fan of Indiana Jones and obviously a big Star Wars fan, but it just, it, it's hard to say that, that Kevin slid in that spot, but he did. Um, so yeah, that's my number three. That's a, I like that choice. And I agree with you. So, so awesome. I'm, I still think back at maybe pun intended Marvel at what was accomplished there. And my dad only got to see a couple of the early uh, movies. Um, We got to see a couple of the early movies together. Um, And now we're going to go back and we're going to watch the whole uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe together and I am so looking forward to that ride with him it's just to be able to experience it with someone who hasn't experienced it, and I know he'll appreciate it so that that's that's a great pick I really like it now this my pick this could have been my number one and honestly probably should be my number one um and it is George Lucas um Boy, so much has been said about this guy, but I, I, prequels aside, even with the prequels, this dude created this whole universe. They, there was, I, Phil, you may be too young to remember, but, but there was nothing before this. Nothing. There were, I mean... I mean, don't get me wrong. There was Batman and there was, you know, superheroes and, you know, there was, and it was fun and and all that, but he came along and he changed everything. Everything was um, different when that movie came out and the sheer scope um, that he created with the characters and the people that he surrounded himself with to help, you know, with this shape, this universe and he, he still, even though he sold it, is still being consulted um, to this day. I can, even though I, you know, ridicule the prequels and wow, Jar Jar Binks, they're so, the good, so greatly outweighs the bad um, with that. To me, it's not even close. I, I will be forever grateful for what he gave to me in my childhood and growing up that is continued to be given to me to this day. I think you hit the nail on the head as to why he means so much more to you and Darren than he does to me because Star Wars existed and has always existed for me. There was, there was no time before Star Wars for me. And, and because of that, I don't, I don't think it didn't have the impact that it did on don't get me wrong it had an impact on me obviously but it wasn't the same because i i i'm blessed enough to live in a world where it's 
soon as I could remember, you know, I had the, I had the original movies. Right. I had to see Empire in the theater 21 times. I saw it in the theater because back in the day, because I'm so old, that once it left the theaters, that was it. And yeah. you wanted to soak it in. You just wanted to memorize it and learn it because that was it. And um, yeah, it, it, you're right. I totally agree with you that that is uh, a different reason. I'm actually kind of thankful that I was able to experience it that way. But, and you're right, that's, it is the sentimental reason. Um, love it, love him so much. Darren. All right, so I went with the George Washington spot was Superman. The Thomas Jefferson spot was Batman. Theodore Roosevelt spot went to George Lucas and occupying the Abraham Lincoln spot on my panel scanners, Mount Rushmore is someone who's had their talented compositions in almost all of it. And my Abraham Lincoln spot goes to John Williams. John oh, Williams man, is, that's fantastic. He is the composer fantastic. of my childhood. Most are aware of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Superman, but his, incredi- his credits include Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the Harry Potter theme, Jurassic Park, Amazing Stories, E.T., he goes back to the Poseidon Adventure. With more recent entries, he's got The Post, Lincoln, and the BFG. Of course, the other Star Wars movies. And that's not even a quarter of the movies he's composed scores for. But Jaws, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, E.T., Close Encounters, and Superman meant so much to my childhood. In each case, <clears throat> whatever existed was incalculably elevated by John Williams's music. It's hard to think of Star Wars, Jaws, Indiana Jones, and even Superman without hearing his compositions. They are so, you know, I, I mentioned before, the, the, uh, it was back in one of the James Bond specials I did with Mark, the, the, the concept of iconicism and how the word iconic is thrown about so often that it has lost all of its meaning. So when you say, like, he's an icon, it, it, means not, it, doesn't, it doesn't even come close to the absolute elevation he has given to those things that maybe we don't even know. Maybe Star Wars is a movie that comes around on TV and we remember it because originally he Lucas wanted to use um, rock music and then actually like old classical music f- for the score. So maybe these movies are, oh, yeah, it was a good movie, but we're not talking about them 40, nearly 50 years later without John Williams' contributions to these things. Wow. You're brilliant. So right. So right. It, it's it, not the same movie without John Williams. None of them are. That dude wrote the soundtrack to my life. Uh-huh. Jaws is a terrifying movie. Watch it without the music. It's not scary. Yeah. No, Shark's coming. Goofy. There it is. <laughs> That's it. Go for it, Phil. I'm interested to see you here. This has got to be Spider-Man, right? It's not, actually. I, uh, I threw a little bit of a curveball here because um, I really sat back and I thought about it. And I, I was like the easy throw here is Spider-Man, but I've already talked about people that have had their their fingers in the Spider-Man world, so technically Spider-Man is up there in some way, shape, or form. It's director but Patty I'm... Jenkins who directed Wonder Woman in 2016. <laughs> Brilliant! My, my last spot is going to go to Todd McFarlane. Wow! Now let me explain why. Todd McFarlane had a very interesting impact on my life. 
uh, Spawn was the first non-Marvel DC comic that I read and absorbed and loved. And then I found out that Todd McFarlane had his fingers in Spider-Man and a bunch of these other things that we love. And then when I started doing more research on all of this, and I knew this already, but um, I wanted to take a nod toward Image Comics. And I couldn't put all the faces of all the founders up there, but Todd McFarlane was one of them. Mm -hmm. And being my connection with Spawn and learning that there is more than our caped crusaders, more than our web-slinging heroes, and that there could be something much different. And I mean, uh, I noticed this last week when I picked up my comic books that out of the 10 books that I grabbed, because I hadn't gotten books in like a month, uh, out of the 10 books that I grabbed, seven of them were Image. So this man was a big part in guiding me down a path that is different than the superhero path. And his artwork is something that I relate to my childhood. And Spawn, if you go back and read, like the early Spawn is still a pretty good read. Um, so it, it just felt like I needed something outside of the big two up there uh, that that really did guide me as to become a more well-rounded fan of what we love. So Todd McFarlane just kind of fit the bill. Wow, that is something. I never would have guessed that in a million years. Neither would I. Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane. <laughs> um, well, my number one, I don't, like I said, George Lucas could have easily been my number one. Um, and I don't even know, I don't think I'm going to explain this as well as I would like, but my number one, do you want to take a guess, Darren? It's Batman. Or... No. No. <laughs> uh, you know, the funny thing is... Phil doesn't take me... Spider-Man and you don't take Batman. My world is right now not making any sense. I'll tell you why it doesn't make any <laughs> sense, though. Go ahead. Uh, the way I read how we were doing this, I didn't think we were doing fictional characters. I oh, thought we okay. were doing real people. I just went, yeah, go for it. I'm wrong. <laughs> Adam West. Oh, oh, I should have been. You see, there you go. No, uh, is Walt Disney. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, this, <laughs> to me, what an amazing man. Like, again, he's a guy that changed things. Um, also, he uh, the first movie I ever saw as a child was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, I remember my mom taking me into the theater and that was just an amazing, amazing experience. And this was a guy who he wanted, you know, some place to take his daughters and families to go that um, really wasn't what was going on at the time really wasn't cutting it. I mean, there were amusement parks and there were rides and things like that, but man, they really changed things. He, um, instead of engineers, they had Imagineers. You essentially, it wasn't, you're just not making a ride down a track. You have to have a story behind it. Everything at Disney revolves around the story. And I love that. And when I go to Disney, it's, it's my happy place. Um, I feel so happy when I'm there, it's just, to me, it's like the ultimate escape. It's like bringing these things that I love to life, like that are 
live in right in front of me. Even more now, I know he wasn't alive with Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and now they have those properties. And it's kind of funny because uh, I think he would have approved because he had a quote himself. Um, he said, Disneyland will never be completed. It will continue to grow as long as there is imagination left in the world. Um, he said that the parks were not a museum and they are always for expanding and, and bringing in new ideas. And that's exactly what they did. I know a lot of people are upset about Disney, you know, buying, you know, Lucas selling Star Wars to Disney. And I kind of almost feel like these two kind of go hand in hand because Lucas was saying like Disney is the only one I would sell to um, because they get it, the how to handle the property. And like I said, dear, I, you've, I've talked before in other podcasts, that feeling I got standing in front of the actual Millennium Falcon come to life, you know, to actually build this, they, and it's not just the Star Wars land, I'm talking everything, this place that he created where imagination, like some of the quotes, he's, he has some great quotes, um, he, like such as, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. Um, the way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Don't let your fears take the place of your dreams. All our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Um, it's just, I love the philosophy. He put so much into making dreams a reality. And to me, Disney World, Disneyland, Disney is, it's all about believing in yourself um, and making your dreams come true and, and really being a better person. I, I, it's, it's a hard thing for me to explain and quantify, but I feel like I'm a better person when I go there. And it, it's like, you, I feel invigorated and inspired uh, by him and this thing that he created that lives on in the Imagineers and the people that continue to create. And I, I just think that that's, something that is just truly amazing and i that's about all i can the best i can explain it and that's why walt disney's my number one all you did is remind me that covid took away my disney trip <laughs> i know i felt so bad for you so upsetting you, you were right about to leave yeah it was the week that we were going that uh everything hit the fan so not the best that's our, our Mount Rushmore's, though. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's incredible. All right. I hope you get there one day, though. I will. I still have stuff that is like paid for that's waiting until the world can let me go. Good. Regardless, Tim, now it is a time for one of my favorite segments of Tim. You should be reading comic books. No, what? <laughs> uh, so I'm actually going to be able to make this short and sweet this time because I have two comics. And both are written by the same person. This is my Robert Kirkman double. So uh, Darren, I know, is reading one of these also. So I'm going to start first with a new book that just started last week, Firepower. Yeah, this isn't going to get it done. Go ahead. 
So, uh, Firepower is a kung fu comic um, in which somebody travels to a... You're, it was the same general setup as most of these kung fu things, right? They go to a special place. Darren has a copy in his hand right now. Uh, it's that same thing. They go someplace to train, to find out about their past, blah, blah, blah. But the turning point is that it jumps at the end of the large... Uh, Spoiler free. free it's going to be spoiler free. It ju- has a 15 year jump, uh, in which he is no longer at the place uh, that he trained. And that's where issue one actually starts. So a trade paperback is the, the prequel, um, that sets up the whole story and kind of flushes it out. Um, and it's about, uh, trying to learn how to do this th- form of kung fu that allows you to actually project fire from your hands um it's very early in so being very early in, there's not a ton of it there but part of the reason that i thought this should be on the list of things that you should be reading is simply because there is not a lot of it and it'd be a really good thing <laughs> you could get into quickly and be interested in uh, they, you kind of know me that's pretty good i kung do fu, have a qu- fire from hands not long all right. So far, it just started. I'm interested. I do have a question, yeah. Phil, uh, about yeah. this. You know, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet. The trade paperback, yeah. is that serving as the first issue, or is this a collection of something? I'm, I'm uncertain about this. Okay, so what what Kurtman did was he released the trade because he wanted the first issue to be, like, ridiculously long, like 90 pages, um, because there's a lot of story to tell. And so he decided instead to do – a trade, a cheap okay. trade, mind you. It was like 10 bucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, um, I'm all to for give it. a pre And he gave issue one as a free comic book day comic. Yep, and I've got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks so for clearing it, that up because I, I was, it, it didn't seem, it seemed odd to me, but I'm cool. I'm cool. Yeah, I'm so, excited about it. I am. Yeah, read the trade first. Darren, it's, it's good. You're going to love it. Oh, you I'm are sure. going to. Love Tim it. won't. Tim won't like it at all, but I will. Um, you have another second, one okay go ahead it's yeah. winning right now yeah the other one is another robert kirkman uh i actually mentioned it earlier this month when i was talking about building video games uh oblivion song which is a little bit uh deeper in uh the premise of this one is a science experiment goes wrong and cuts through dimensions bleeding in uh a place called oblivion in which there are mutated monsters that uh people that were in the part of the city that got split are sucked into their world and the book picks up with this have already happened and the guy who made that happen uh feeling responsible and jumping into oblivion to save the human beings that are there so that's how it starts and then as the story progresses we start to learn more about the habitat of oblivion and the people that live there and we start finding out things about the science experiment and maybe the main character is not at fault and maybe something else was going on so um it's sci-fi with a lot of human angst uh and right now the most recent arc is more of learning what the sentient monsters of oblivion actually think and with them kind of working and not working with the humans so it has the same type of feel as kind of like uh 
a Star Trek thriller in the sense of going out and meeting new creatures and trying to figure out the way that that world works. Uh, I'm trying to keep this kind of <laughs> shortened so that I, in case you do read, which you should read, uh, <laughs> I don't spoil anything because a lot happens very quickly. If you, uh, I'm, did you read Walking Dead? Oh yeah. So, I read all of it. So it has the same type of uh, story release that Walking Dead does. So that whole thing of you think you know what's happening and then boom, you don't. And they don't care about necessarily prolonging the lives of all the characters. So I feel like Oblivion Song plays way more like Walking Dead. Firepower is its own thing. And it's one of the it's what I wanted the last Iron Fist run to be. All right. So those are my two. Both I don't know. Star Trek and Thriller, those don't seem to uh, go hand in hand. You used that to explain the uh, book. I, like I, a Star I, Trek Thriller. I said like a Star Trek Thriller. Like it could be a thing that could exist. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that that is, that that is the best possible way to say uh-huh, He's gonna yeah. double down on that too. I'll give him credit for that though. Yeah, I'll double down on it. All right, Darren, why don't you give me the winning picks? All right. I mean, this I mean, one is a three-issue arc that Phil will attest is excellent. And if he tries to uh, circumvent his own thoughts, there is an audio document of such. Uh, as a couple of months ago, he was kind enough to help me out. Um, because some foo told us he wasn't going to be around for a while. Um, and he helped me out with Green jerk. Arrow and the Longbow Hunters. Now, this is a three-issue uh, miniseries. Like my video game I want. Exactly, Tim. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's three issues, and it is it comes out on the heels of um, the, the Dark Knight Returns when that sort of kick-starts the graphic novel um into more mature realms and not necessarily you know the, although the dark knight returned definitely had a lot of violence and a lot of you know cussing and blood and all that um this is a little bit toned down from that but it is absolutely the document that was used by the producers of the television series arrow to set the tone of what the best parts of that series wanted to be um it's one of the only comics where right away the hero tells you how old he is specifically. I mean, this is Oliver Queen. You know, he's done. He he's he doesn't want. He's like, I, I'm 44 years old. I'm I, I don't know how long I've been doing this anymore. I've got to, I got to put this thing to bed. And of course, you know, he gets dragged back into something with Black Canary. And then um, it, it does a little bit. You know, if you really want, if you're interested in firepower and you want a little bit of that Eastern mysticism. Well, the longbow hunters are going to give that to you, Tim. Um, they come in, and Shadow, who is a, a, a main character, a big heavy kidder in that, in that series, she makes her debut in this comics. It's by Mike Grell, written and illustrated by Mike Grell. Um, if you want a short, this is going to give you that. But some of the stuff in here, man, is so cool. I mean, you know, Phil really did me a solid when we were trying to put this together. Um, he was able to read it, and uh, we both talked about it at length about, you know, what it actually it, it to some degree it doesn't get enough credit that it deserves because so much of what's come after this 
has emulated it. Um, and you absolutely see, you know, the, the absolute, the amazing work that was done with um, Hawkeye over the last five years. Uh, Phil, you're going to have to refresh my memory on the creators for that one. So that's the Matt David Aja. Aja, one that I already told him to read. And the reality is, if you really want to know about the Longbow Hunter, save yourself the reading. Just listen to the podcast episode. You don't need to read it. Well, he'll do both. Um, <laughs> you think I listen to this, this, this stuff? So that, that's my pick. That's all I got for this one is we got Green Arrow, the Longbow Hunters. A DC um, staple, one of those ones you that's got your, you to cross off your list. Pick? That's my only that's pick. That's all I need, Tim. That's all I need. Do you provide free shipping? Yeah, I'll drop it off. <laughs> I'll drop it off, too. All right. So the verdict is this. I'm going to tell you, Oblivion Song is out. That just, uh, that, there's just way too much going on there. Yeah, you have to be smart for that one. Go ahead. <laughs> and I am not a smart man. I know you very well, too. Black science. I would tell you, so here's, here's what's going to happen. It would have been... It probably would have been firepower, kung fu, fire from hands thing. I, but <laughs> Phil hasn't seen Wonder Woman, so I'm going oh, with Green oh, Arrow no, and the long Cannot use that as your reason, you jerk. Uh, well done, Darren. Here you go, Tim. I, I I predict many victories from you coming in the coming. Oh, we're doing this every. We're gonna do seven segments a segments of this a month. <laughs> Remember all the good books I've already told you to read, Tim. Which ones? Huh. No one remembers. <laughs> I'm not keeping track of this if you're not. So. Nah, I, I thought you were keeping track of this. At yeah, one that one point, I but know. I kept beating him, so he stopped keeping track. No, I don't believe that's what? true. I don't believe that's true. I believe I won the very first one. The first one, but not since. Uh, I don't know about that. The, my my memory of you not seeing Wonder Woman has clouded things. Yeah, I, I, with all the stuff I, I have to keep Darren track of in this podcast, late. I ain't keeping track of anything else. Huh. Okay, Tim. I'll keep that in mind. Don't you worry. You should. You should. <laughs> Next time I'm going to have to get quizzed on Wonder Woman just to prove that I've watched it so that you'll stop and shut up about it. By, by the way, uh, Tim yes. will do that. I have no interest. I, I Like I said, like the Snyder Cut, I care about I care less about this than I do the Snyder Cut at this point. I'm sick of it. <laughs> he's going to hate it. You know, I he's going to hate it out of principle. And even if he loves it, he's not going to tell us. Actually, he won't I, admit I don't to think it. I could lose here. I'll be happy if he enjoys it. And it'll be really funny if he does it. So it would he be says, the first movie I had to watch because of this podcast I ended up hating. No, yeah, but when uh, he does say, guys, I finally watched Wonder Woman, our collective response is like, yeah, who cares, Phil? Let's just move on. <laughs> that, that will be what Tim says to my outrage. <laughs> well, it's settled then. <laughs> All right, Darren, give us give us some retro love. Well, again, I think I owe you a, 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 a thank you on this one, Phil. Uh, we've been, you know, <laughs> scrambling to put things together. And last month I was supposed to do Dreadstar, um, but we had to push it back a month, which uh, sets uh, push you back a month, Phil. So I appreciate you helping me out with this. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to talk about Dreadstar tonight. It is uh, something that's been in my pull for a long, long time. I've had, I've had the first 27 issues in my collection for about five years now. I was managed to pick them up. 
at uh, the Cleveland uh, Wizard World Cleveland when uh, my wife got tickets for me as a gift. It may actually be like six or seven years now. And um, I had always wanted to read Dread Star. And uh, I figured, well, this is a real good time to try and seek out and find as many as I can. And I managed to score the first 27 issues for like 30 bucks total. Um, so Dread Star was an ongoing science fiction fantasy series published by Marvel's 1982-1996 imprint, Epic Comics. Think of Epic as a forerunner to DC's Vertigo. Vertigo ran from 1993 until it was scuttered in favor of DC's Black Label earlier this year. Epic Comics was born out of Epic Illustrated, an anthology publication analogous to Heavy Metal magazine, which was founded just ahead of the dawn of Star Wars in 1977. Like Heavy Metal, Epic Illustrated and Epic Comics were warehouses for more mature content. Epic Comics was completely separate from the Marvel Universe and, similar to Heavy Metal, avoided superhero fare in favor of deep fantasy and science fiction, though Epic Illustrated did contain stories featuring Silver Surfer and Galactus. These were publications that were more free to dodge the restrictive comics code. Most importantly, they were a form for creator-owned works. Both Marvel and DC were, and remain, work-for-hire companies, meaning any creation introduced under their employ remains the sole property of the company. Comics history is whittled, riddled with stories of creators receiving little to no credit for creations and even less financial remuneration. The most egregious examples of this would be DC's conscious hesitation in giving Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster credit for creating Superman, as well as failing to acknowledge Bill Finger's contributions to the creation of Batman. Only within the last decade have Siegel and Shuster's names been added as creators to comics starring Superman. Bill Finger is still not technically given credit as a Batman creator, as his name appears alongside Bob Kane as Batman, created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. As we have illustrated many times in this podcast, the 1980s was an incredible boon period for comics, having come off a deep recession in sales. With Siegel, Schuster, and Finger as reference points, some creators had become disgruntled when unparalleled sales numbers failed to line the pockets of creators. Among those creators was Jim Starlin, who was not necessarily counted among the most vocal of the disgruntled. In fact, he was enjoying a very healthy working relationship with Marvel, but Starlin was looking to do his own thing with less restrictions. Starlin is the creator, writer, and illustrator of Dreadstar. Starlin is a prolific comics creator, perhaps on a level just beneath names like Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, belonging on the same level as Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Jim Steranko, among others, that second-generation wave of creators who laid the foundation for comics in the United States during the disillusioning times of the 1960s and 1970s. Those creators introduced darker human elements of storytelling, racism, prejudice, drug abuse, alcoholism, suicide, enslavement, rape, all of which had begun to feature in the pages of main roster superhero comics for the first time, most notably Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and Iron Man leading the charge. Starlin began his career in comics in the 1970s as a contributor on Spider-Man and Iron Man. It was during this time that he created which three heavy hitters in the M. C. U. Wonder Man. Um. <laughs> Very good guess, Tim. Very good guess. Uh, of the MCU? Yeah, three heavy hitters in the MCU created by Jim Starlin. Uh, so you're saying the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yes, that, yes, MCU. Oh, uh, Vision. 
Thor. No, no, no. He, did, he did not do Thor. Phil, uh, I have asked you this exact question and, four and every, different times. Thanos. Time. And every time you don't get it. No. The other two were Gamora and Drax the Destroyer. I was I was just about to say Gorian's yeah. people. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Those are heavy hitters? Thanos? That's not... Oh, Thanos. Gamora and Drax the Destroyer? As last I checked, they were big-time players in that movie. Oh, in the movie. Yeah, in, uh, the movie. You guys, mm-hmm. Have you ever yeah, even right. seen these movies? I have. I know all about them. Apparently, you guys <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. You've seen them more recently than us. I just keep watching Wonder Woman over and over again. As Phil would say, regardless, among other characters he's had a hand in creating include the master of Kung Fu Shang-Chi, along with Steve Englehart, as well as DC villains the KG Beast and Mongol. Starlin was elected to the Eisner Hall of Fame in 2017. Dreadstar actually began as the Metamorphosis Odyssey in the first issue of Epic Illustrated, though not as its eponymous character. Starlin would make Dreadstar the headliner following the move to Epic Comics when the imprint was launched by Jim Shooter, Archie Goodwin, and Al Milgram. Shooter and Goodwin are names that should be familiar as we have covered numerous works by both. Jim Shooter has worked on everything from Supergirl, Superman, Legion of Superheroes at DC, but it was his work as editor at Marvel during the 1980s that produced Shooter's most recognizable contributions as he served as the editor-in-chief for Thor during Walt Simonson's run and helped elevate the uncanny X-Men to heights no title has reached since, as he was the editor-in-chief during Chris Claremont and John Byrne's run. Shooter was also... Yeah, get ready. Shooter also headed the team responsible for which major crossover event in the 1980s? Crisis on Infinite Earths. No. Phil, you should... Secret Wars. You got it. Secret Wars. I was going to say, I... That was before. What do I win? You win Phil. Archie Goodwin was the first ever writer on Iron Man and contributed to everything from Tomb of Dracula for Marvel to Batman the Long Halloween for DC. Shut up, Tim. Goodwin is responsible for (laughs) co-creating Luke Cage with which other legendary Marvel artist? What? Say that again? Archie Goodwin is responsible for co-creating Luke Cage with which other artist? Legendary Marvel artist. Jack Kirby. It did, Kirby didn't do nope. Cage. Um, uh, crap. I can't remember who Thinks by created. Man. Todd McFarland. It's not Todd McFarland. Yes. Come on, buddy. If it's not Ditko, and it ain't, you got it. John Romita Jr. Um... Goodwin became Marvel's editor-in-chief during one of the company's most turbulent times. Among his first tasks as editor, he was the driving force behind convincing Stan Lee to adapt Star Wars, which Lee resisted, but the six-issue adaptation of Star Wars became largely responsible for helping pull Marvel from bankruptcy. For more on Marvel's first run of Star Wars comics, do not read them! (laughs) Instead... See the panel scanners, panel scanners Star Wars specials 1, 2, and 3, where I endured that joy for you. Trust me, you're better off just going with what I tell you. Archie Goodwin was a 1998 Eisner Hall of Fame inductee a few short months after his passing. 
Al Milgram's career began back in the 1970s. He worked on everything from Guardians of the Galaxy, the West Coast Avengers at DC with writer Jerry Conway. He is the co-creator of Ronnie Raymond, the original Firestorm. As for the story of Dreadstar, Masters of the Universe could be a type of spiritual successor or given the time period in which they met with their peak popularity, an adjacent kin. The story of Dreadstar is one that manages to eke out an existence even to this day, an impressive feat considering Dreadstar is not attached to the Marvel Universe. To my knowledge, Dreadstar himself, nor any of the supporting characters appear or are even referenced in the Marvel main universe continuity, even for as jumbled as a universe it is. And their inclusion wouldn't require a monumental effort as the characters could easily fit into a Guardians of the Galaxy arc. Here's the lowdown. Vanth, that's Vanth, V-A-N-T-H, Dreadstar. That's the only time I'm going to worry about enunciating his first name. Is the lone survivor of the Milky Way galaxy. He is from Earth and looks to have the contact info of Oliver Queen's Taylor and Barber. He carries a magic sword that appears in his hand when he needs it. Later, the sentient spirit of that sword embodies Dreadstar, manifesting new super abilities. Zisigi Darklock, that's Zisigi, half-man, half-machine wizard who lost his family during the Metamorphosis Odyssey. Willow, an increasingly powerful psychic who uses a small monkey-like creature as her eyes, having been blinded by an accident. Oity, Dreadstar's best friend and the last surviving member of a humanoid cat-like species, Skivo, resembling X-Men Beast in appearance, Skivo is best described as a smuggler and hacker. Dreadstar, Darklock, Willow, Oity, and Skivo round out the main roster of fugitives operating against the instrumentality led by High Lord Papal. Lord Papal's DNA certainly lies within Thanos. By the way, did you know, Phil, that Thanos was created by Jim Starlin? And Darkseid, as his appearance is that of a giant hulking beast of a humanoid. Pale white complexion, muscular, massive torso and shoulders towering above all other characters in the book. The team of fugitives operates during the never-ending war between the instrumentality and the monarchy. The instrumentality is a clear allusion to the Holy Roman Empire, designed to spread its beliefs across all galaxies by force and eliminating all those who oppose them. The monarchy is more an allegory for English rule in the 1700s, not as warlike as the Romans, but certainly not the model of tolerance, not some people you'd want to throw away your shot to. Dreadstar and his team of fugitives are easy to see as American revolutionaries. Um, that is pretty much the long and short of it for the broad strokes of Dreadstar. It is excellently illustrated by Jim Starlin. He is certainly right alongside those titans of yesteryear, such as George Perez, Dan Jurgens, Neil Adams, Carmine Infantino, Tim's favorite artist, Jim Aparo, Walt Simonson, John Byrne, the Ramitas. I could go on and on. Among the reasons... I enjoy producing this podcast, you guys, is admiring the art in the books we read. There are so many times that I mentally gasp from some of the images I see in contemporary comics. The artwork that is being produced today is absolutely mind-blowing. But reading Dreadstar takes me back to the time I grew up. There is a completely different level of craftsmanship at play in those books of yesteryear. I can see Starlin in my mind with pencil and paper, and I can see the scratches in the illustration. It's something I'm just never going to tire of. The issues are a joy to read, and not nearly as harsh as the epic imprint would suggest. 
I read through issue 18 as I usually do, and outside of the reveal that Willow was taken advantage of by her father in as horrifying a way as you're probably thinking, most of the story after that plays out as a fun, swashbuckling tale. This is the kind of book I gravitate toward and why comics are my most preferred form of entertainment. I've never really been too fond of fantasy stories in big media, with few exceptions. However, I seem to gravitate toward fantasy in comics. I love the world and universe building. I love the long-form storytelling through which the smallest details of invented but familiar traditions and heritage are revealed. I love engaging in an imaginative writer and artist's culture comments as a lens through which we can sometimes view our own society and selves. Comics gives us a time to spend on those smaller moments, examine a heritage for issues at a time, develop relationships, forms, form bonds in and out of the main storyline. These things that two-hour films are simply incapable of. And I'm kind of a sucker for universes that feature a mixture of science fiction and fantasy. For more to the point, while my Century Matrix often rejected fantasy elements, tossing spaceships, interstellar travel, robots mixed with knights, kingdoms, swords, and sorcery, which is more powerful, science or magic? Consider me fished in. These are the things that draw me back to my childhood, I think, more than ever. I also think Dreadstar is what readings were, readers were hoping Star Wars comics would become once the completion of the original trilogy loosened the restrictions on the storytelling and original characterization. A much deeper dive into the struggles of morally righteous revolutionaries scrambling to keep their cause and themselves together while fighting the forces of evil. Dreadstar, Dreadstar survived Marvel's closing of Epic Comics and was continued in publication by First Comics. Dreadstar is probably not going to go down as one of the legendary comic titles of all time. Indeed, it sort of seemed lost to time until a few years ago when Starlin signed a deal with Universal Entertainment to produce a Dreadstar TV series. That was February 2015, and nothing seems to have materialized other than that announcement. However, Universal now has its own streaming service as NBC's Peacock has launched. So let's just see how starved they will be for contact after, after everyone has binged Friends in the Office for the umpteenth time. On the publication front, Dreadstar is making his return via Kickstarter. Dreadstar Returns will be written and illustrated by Jim Starlin in a 100-page prestige format adventure. It is still an active campaign on Kickstarter as of this recording in July 2020 and far exceeded its necessary goal for production. So... This may be the best time since Dreadstar's original run to hop aboard the starship. Dreadstar, it's wonderful. It's a peek back at how a master storyteller was trying to push the envelope. Nothing too objectionable. Nothing salacious. Just wanting to be free of an obsolete code of restrictions. It's pure escapist fare. Sometimes wacky. Sometimes serious. But always a fun time capsule. I stated in my retroactive review of The New Teen Titans from Part 2 of our 2018 holiday special that Marv Wolfman and George Perez led the title which felt like what we hoped Saturday morning cartoons would have become had they matured with us, and Dreadstar belongs right alongside them in that category. That is a shining recommendation. I picked that one. I picked that comic, too. You know, it's funny, Tim. I was going to actually throw that in there, but it was before the review. <laughs> so yeah, I, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to throw away my shot, so to speak. <laughs> no, sounds good. I'm assuming you backed the Kickstarter. No, I haven't, actually, because I hadn't, when it started, I had only gotten a couple of issues in. And uh, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, I want there's right now. I was kind of gonna probably gonna quit after issue eighteen, but they just started what is supposed to be the 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 storyline for Dreadstar, in which they find out that there is a traitor in their midst, and it's supposedly one of the main characters, and it goes on for another ten or twelve issues. So I haven't gotten that far yet, but um, I then it, it's great. Now again, if I if ever you were to read this. I don't think you're going to sit there going, oh, my God, this is freaking amazing. It's just it's a time capsule, like I said. It's something I think you guys should check out at some point. And it's definitely one of those characters that sort of just sort of floats around there. I, I do have a question. though. Had, had either of you ever heard of Dreadstar? I mean, I know I've talked about it on the podcast from time to time. But before that, no. I, I, I swear, I know I've heard the name, but it could have just been you talking about it. I I'm not familiar with it. It's, I, if it sounds familiar to me, it's because it sounds like OnStar. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, now, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, I recommend it highly. I mean, if, especially now when we're kind of, those of us who are reading comics, we're sort of starved for comics. It's out there. You can grab it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I... I'm still back cataloged like crazy, so I I know it would be a long time before I could circle back to it. But that's the nice thing about these is that we have it cataloged on this uh, podcast, so I can always circle back and uh, remember that it exists, which is good. So, wow. And I and I don't read. <laughs> yeah, you say you're going to read these things that we tell you to, and then you never do. So we're used to it by now. I don't really care if he does. I just care that if he picks me. Uh, that I don't care that much, I guess. Yeah, you oh, do. Oh well, then, yeah. Maybe that's why you're not winning, Phil. Maybe that's why I don't see Wonder Woman, Tim. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, as always, Darren, that was fantastic. Thank uh, you. It's always great to hear your your retros and uh, get a get an outlook of a book that I definitely haven't read. Um, that's always interesting to me. Uh, yeah. So, anything to plug, gentlemen? Darren? No. No, we Tim, have you gotta... what I most fear on our podcast for next month. We got nothing. Yeah, there's that. Um, I'm on retro, right? Yes. Yeah. So it'll be like an episode of Seinfeld. It's a show about nothing. Hmm. That seems like life. Maybe Phil could do a review of Wonder Woman. I will that not be on that episode. That I, am, I have be... reached that point. Let's do a you Wonder Woman-centric episode. Wonder Woman special, August 2020. Okay, there he is. <laughs> yeah, so Phil won't be part of that episode. Um, Perfect. No, no how funny. Uh, so, yeah, since uh, we don't have too much else, thank you guys for uh, sitting down and chatting comics and all this fun always a pleasure. stuff. Um, Glad we're always, back. Can, what was that? Glad we're back together, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. Don't don't go away again, Tim. <laughs> I can't. I make no promises. I heard the word promise. That's all I heard. So, <laughs> as always, you can follow us on Instagram at Panel Scanners. Uh, so I guess until next month, which I have nothing to tease, but there will be content. I promise. Until then, enjoy your comics. Phil's review of Wonder Woman would be an x-men age of apocalypse video game uh in the same type of open world um almost adventure action game similar to like a spider-man type thing in which you would explore the uh 
ruined world as various members of the x-men team it's been a while since we had an x-men game that was good uh that wasn't a like x-men legacy type game uh, my second runner-up would be a video game adaptation of the idw teenage mutant ninja turtles run uh just because if you haven't read it i think the story would be really cool and actually playing as the characters going through the different things be it in the old beat-em-up style or just again in like a adventure style similar to uh these other games that we've discussed that'd be fun that would be fun great uh and i mean it could be a a turtles game that actually a storyline more so than just uh let's beat up shredder let's beat up krang let's end it um but the comic book i would most like to see as a game that i think would have some massive legs but it wouldn't be able to be made quite yet it hold on can i do i know this comic or character you wouldn't okay I was going to uh, guess, but I will not know. <laughs> I went you're here. So uh, Robert Kirkman has been working on a comic called Oblivion Song for a while now. Um, and the, basically the, the premise uh, is that there is a, another dimension that kind of bleeds into uh, our dimension. And my concept for this game would be that you would be one of the scientists that go into this other dimension to try to save the human beings that are trapped there and battle off the enemies from oblivion so um think of it kind of like a horizon zero dawn in which you are going around and fighting these monsters not robotic but mutated and weird that uh have different fighting patterns and stuff uh so like a mix between like a horizon zero dawn and like a dark souls difficulty in which you have to like learn your enemies and dodge around and when you uh get wiped you teleport back to the real world um obviously the story would have to be complete to make the whole game with the story is not complete we're kind of in a deep arc at the moment but i think it could be very cool and exploration games like that are fantastic and it could really open the eyes of a lot of people that have not read the comic so those are the ones that i kind of thought of when i was coming up with this uh aspect um i could talk much longer about each one of them but (laughs) we've been very wordy thus far this evening Darren, what about you? I got one. Okay. That's all you need. That's all I need. All I have is one. Archie. You East got West. it. Archie, the Archie versus Predator storyline. <laughs> and, no, come on. This is an obvious one. What have we not seen yet? That is, anyone who tries to tell me it's not possible is wrong. That's not possible? Yeah. That makes it sound weird. Oh, oh Superman. Superman. Game. Absolutely. What the heck? Man. Now, here, let me tell you something. Um, I've heard uh, one of the guys that filled in for Tim, Mark, he said that he just doesn't think, this is a while ago now, he may have changed his tune, but he said that Superman, it's just not possible. I disagree. No Man's Sky is a game mechanic that I think would work for Superman. Somewhere in there in the middle with, or, you know, Rockstar, how they did the Batman games. Um, not Star, what am I, not Rockstar, what was that? The the Arkham games, who was that? Sorry, I'm wrong about Rockstar, right? Rockstar no. is... Is it Rocksteady, or is it Rockstar? Uh, Rockstar is Red Dead Redemption. Um, yeah, um, um, um... Here, just keep talking. One of you two fools look so that sad. up while I'm talking about this. Um, now, come on, man. And this, this falls along the same lines as when 
you hear about the production of a Superman movie, and it was always about the thing I can't stand is we have to figure out what Superman means to a modern audience, all those sorts of things. Do you know, here's something that Superman does. He punches things. Mm -hmm. And he punches things that are bigger than him. So you think about things like Shadow of the Colossus. We already know we can make these large, giant, hulking beasts of objects. Can you, wouldn't you like to power up Superman? Like initially in the game, you're, you're having to fight against one of those things, dodging the big fist, and at some point, as you power up Superman, you can just blast right through them. They're giant robots or something. You can take off. You can fly from the Earth into space, into other galaxies, and explore other worlds, which is what No Man's Sky has done. I'm not saying that would have, well, that's what it has to be done, but a Superman game should be absolutely possible in the next gen. I just played... The Iron Man VR experience, uh -oh. the demo, and you're flying. You're Iron Man, but you're flying. Like, okay. And I, I'll admit, I was, I was really enjoying being Iron Man, but the second or third time, I was kind of pretending I was Superman because I feel like, well, this is probably as close as I'm going to get. Um, so I got not a, not a whole lot else to say about that because I feel like this is such an obvious one. Tim? Oh, unless I, any I totally of you guys agree with you. Oh, okay, thanks. I really do, and that is something I did think about when I was uh, thinking about these. I think, to me, the best Superman game that they came out with so far was the animated series game. Um, I remember that, yeah. Oh, yeah, on the PlayStation uh, 2? I'm sorry, not the, not the Nintendo 64. <laughs> there was one I on PlayStation 2. I was like, I had, I tried both, and I, I was, oh, my God. I don't, let's not even go down that road. But there was a good one on PlayStation 2. You know, the Nintendo 64 had an excellent... The Death of Superman one was really excellent, too, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I got to think there's somewhat... There's a studio out, studio out there that is smart enough to do this and do it right. Yeah. Um, I have four. Um, the first one, real quick, I would love it because it was a comic, and it is a comic, Batman 66 game. Oh! oh. I would love for it uh, to be just... Remember during the game Rise of uh, Sinzu, yes. the Batman the animated series? Buddy move. I would, I would love, yes, yes, buddy move. Just them running, you know, just running down the street. Just a brawler, you know, to almost like. Oh, my uh, God, that would be great. Uh, I think that would be great fun. That would be awesome. You, get a, you pull off a special move, you get your pow and bangs on there. Come Absolutely. on. Come on. Oh, the closest they ever came was in Lego Batman 3. They actually did a Batman 66 mini level. Oh. And it was so fun. It made me want an entire game of it. And I, I just think that would be so fun. Uh, the next two, I guess, could be kind of similar in structure. Um, one, I think, Darren, should be a Green Arrow game. Yeah. I mean... They have done, I have played enough games like um, Tomb Raider um, and Last of um, Us. The Last of Us, where bow action, like fighting and playing with a bow, is it can be done and it can be done well now. And plus, you have the ability to put those specialty bows. Come on, who doesn't want you get a boxy glove arrow? Got to have that at some point, even if for a joke or something. That is still one of my favorite arrow moments in the TV show. But, yes. But, Darren, I remember I, I told you about the game Thief I played. And yeah. you had a bow oh, yeah. arrow. They could do so much with that with the water arrows, a fire arrow, an arrow with the cable. I mean, you could go around the city doing so much with that. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, 
Horizon Zero Dawn. The uh, Phil, you'll back this up. The bow mechanics in that are pretty awesome that too. That game, oh, everything. Yeah, I I am dying for this. In fact, I was just talking to Redmond. He's the, he's the one who came in and he did our uh, wrestling episodes uh, back in April, March, April. And he's also a video game reviewer, reviewer, and he just has up now his review for Ghosts of Tsushima, which yeah, looks freaking incredible. He gets all the games like free and early. And he said mm-hmm. the bow action in, in that is as good as we've seen. He actually mentioned, he's like, it's time for Green Arrow. So I was, I was thinking of that, too, but I had already written my segment. Uh, but that's awesome, Tim. You're 100% correct. Um, this, was, this next one was going to be my number one. Um, and I'll get to my number one in a sec, but it, it was a Daredevil game. Um, I think, you know, with the advent of the Spider-Man game, I'm just like, man, you can make a gritty Daredevil game uh, through New York. He's got the parkour. He has, you know, I, I forgive me for not knowing the term, the sticks that he has. That Escrema. The cables come out. What? I'm sorry? Escrema sticks. They're similar to what Robin has or Nightwing. Yes. Thank you. I could be wrong. Um, and, you know, he uses that. The cable comes out, swings across the city. Um, you have the ability with him being blind with the radar sense to kind of use, like, with Arkham. Lights out see. levels. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think even if you get a good story, you could even work out some sort of interrogation mode where you could tell someone's lying or not. Oh, or yeah. or if you, if you have to pick a lock, you know, with a tumbler, being able to use your sense to, you know tell how to pick a lock and you know just uh with with the you know with the kingpin and bullseye and you know i i just think that that would be a fun sandbox oh man that would be great absolutely you could have cameos now this one that came um for my number one was not my idea this was for my son ethan and as soon as he said it i said oh my god yeah that's brilliant um is a Doctor Strange game. It's a game I never thought I wanted until I thought about it. I mean, it just fits with what uh, you're able to do now because you can start off with him. I I mean, if you want, you can do the training if you want. Or I I don't know a ton about Doctor Strange. The only, my biggest exposure to Doctor Strange was the movies, Mm -hmm. uh, immediately so. But, I mean, here's something that you can... You know, you can have it in New York, but you can also go into other dimensions, which really opens things up. So, I mean, you could start it out in New York. Yeah, this is the same familiar type game, but then you can go into the mirror dimension or countless other dimensions in this game. Um, it would be easy to start him off as a weaker character and progress with... Um, different incantations of learning uh, different spells and abilities, or you have to find um, certain things, uh, maybe scrolls to learn, learn these things. I mean, the amount of powers and abilities, like uh, it's easy the way games are set up nowadays where you could have this great pro- uh, progressive system of him learning and gaining abilities that makes sense. Um, as you saw it in the movies, being trained and just learning, or, you know, I have to go here and, and get this amulet or find this route or, you know, to to make this happen. And just like I said, the combination of being able to be in New York and then it's pretty much limitless to your imagination. 
going off into uh, other dimensions. I when uh, my son started talking about that, I'm just like, yeah, that's that's great. You could have such a, a spell progression with a spell tree and learning spells and customization. I just I just think that that would be such a fun game. I could even all of these like, games. What was that, Phil? I, you could even forge like mystical weapons because he has his own forge. Yes, that was, see, look at you're getting it. Yes, I'm in. I'm so in for that. Very cool. And that's it for me. Man, that's cool. Tim, you you crushed that one. Yeah, you did. Thanks, guys. Oh man. All right. So surprisingly somehow that is all we have for the general moment but later this month we're going to talk about our current mountain rushmores these are the creators and people and things that we think mean the most to us in this thing we're going to give tim some comic books that he should want to read and darren has a retroactive review of dreadstar coming so that is in about two weeks uh you guys have anything to plug yeah episode uh, 125 of the panel scanners What's that? Episode 125 of the panel scanners. Uh, it's gonna I'm be going great. to plug the Wonder Woman movie. No. Jeez. All right. That's uh, well, I guess. Uh, All right, guys. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at panel scanners. So until next time, enjoy your comics.